Amen. Thanks, Pastor Gary. And uh, um, I, I, am, I consider it a, a deep privilege and a blessing to be able to serve um, at Central Community Church. I don't get uh, to this campus often on a Sunday morning, but when I do, I always enjoy my time here. And uh, I, this will actually be my last appearance this year um, as I return to <laughs> Agassiz uh, in, the, in the weeks to come to finish out the year and Christmas Eve over there. Just want to say, because I won't see you all again until January, have a, a very merry and, and blessed Christmas and also a very happy new year full of the joy of the Lord. I, I'm just having so much fun um, on staff at Central and we are as a staff team. I, I just want to say publicly, I love this church. I love you. Uh, I love the Agassiz campus. It's a, it's a privilege to serve. Um, I don't think we could have any more fun as a staff team. If that's possible, we're, we're enjoying ministry and life together. And so thank you for that. Um, I don't know if you can recall your earliest uh, um, memory in life, but this morning I want to share two with you. Uh, they occurred between my birth, obviously, and about age three-something. So I imagine these two memories came between the age of two and three somewhere. Um, as, you, as many of you know, I grew up on the prairies. I grew up on a farm uh, in Saskatchewan, north of Saskatoon, um, from the age of three plus um, on. I was actually born in Saskatoon and spent the first three years of my life in the city. You see, my dad, who helped my, my grandfather, his dad, farm until actually his late 20s, um, left the farm, moved to Saskatoon, and got a job at uh, uh, Intercontinental Packers. He worked there for 16 years. Where during that time, he met my mom, started to raise a family. I'm the youngest, so I come along. And at age three, my dad decided, okay, I want to move the family back to the farm. And he built a house about a half a mile from the homestead where my dad was raised. And that's, that was the rest of my, um, my upbringing over there. But in those short three years that I spent in Saskatoon, I have these two memories. The first is um, my siblings were all at school and um, I'm home alone with mom, just this little guy. And I drove her crazy. <clears throat> I <laughs> my mom says to me to this day, Ellen, I don't even want to talk about what you were like as a child. <laughs> Let's just not even go there, okay? I'm like, okay, fair enough, fair enough. So um, I was on this particular day, I was driving my mom crazy again, and I said, and I said, I really wanted to go on the slide, which was at the end of our street, where there was a park at the end of our street, just a few doors down, and there was this cool slide. And I really wanted to slide, and my mom didn't have time. She was like, I got things to do around the house, she's busy. And, and then I, I drove her so crazy that finally she just said, go. And I was back in the day when it was safe enough to let your little tyke outside and you don't have to worry about that, although I, she probably was worried. But I, I ran to this slide, only, only a few doors down. And uh, now this wasn't just any slide. I don't know if any of you remember the old metal slides that were shaped like an auger. So there's this little door that you enter and then there's a winding staircase that goes to the very top. And then on the outside, you slide down in a winding direction opposite and to the bottom, right? And they just up and down. Well, so I entered the, uh, I entered, <laughs> it's a horn going off in the parking lot. <laughs> so we'll just focus on this here right now, okay? <laughs> My story is pretty interesting, so you should be okay. Um, so, so I go up this winding staircase, my first trip up, and I get almost to the top, and I slipped. And I fell 
down these stairs, corrugated metal, you know, like the whole thing is metal. Bang, 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 down. And I end up at the bottom and I'm bleeding and I'm hurting and all I could do was run home as fast as possible crying to my mom who probably said, well, it serves you right. (laughs) Probably said that. Isn't it amazing how your first memories are always the traumatic ones? Okay, so second memory. My, my parents, so my sister is uh, almost seven years older than me, so she's already like 10-something, and, and, uh, and I have twin brothers who are three years older than me, so my parents left just for a, an hour or two on, on a Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon and left my sister in charge. And so she told, my parents told my sister that they could give us each a, a marshmallow, right? The big ones, right? So... Of course, one marshmallow wasn't good enough for me. So I got into the bag and I ate marshmallow after marshmallow after marshmallow. You can see where this is going, right? This is my second memory. I kid you not. These are the only two things I can remember from Saskatoon. Both traumatic. I ate so many marshmallows and then I went outside into the front lawn to play. (laughs) And I lost the marshmallows. And again, all I can remember when mom and dad got home is that no, no sympathy or compassion. They were just angry at me that I ate all these marshmallows. And you're probably wondering this morning, like, what does this have to do with Christmas? Good question. I, I longed to go down that slide. I longed to have more than one marshmallow. They, they were not, you know, a marshmallow in itself or going down a slide are not bad longings, are they? But I did it my way. And what I did my way after my begging and whining and complaining and disobedience was it it led to deep hurt and disappointment and mess, disaster. Because I was stubborn. I refused to listen. I wanted it my way. Israel also had longings. They had longings uh, similar to, you know, what we heard two weeks ago as Pastor Matt kicked off this, this wonderful Advent series. Longings that Adam had at the very beginning where Advent really started in the garden, not in the stable. Adam's misdirected longings in the garden birthed sin into the world because he wanted something different than what God wanted for his life. And so Israel's longings, just like Adam, led to hurt, disappointment, a mess, a disaster, really, because they didn't do it God's way. They got ahead of God. They were impatient. They were unwilling to listen. They were disobedient, and it had some very negative consequences. And I want to tell you this morning what their longings were for, were, were for and how God eventually redeemed those and redirected those misdirected longings. T- take your Bible and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. As we read about what Israel really longed for and what that has to do with Advent, what it has to do with Christmas. And, I, and just keep the Bible in your hand because I'm going to read a lot of scripture this morning and I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you work today, okay? So be prepared for that. 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and they said to him, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us 
such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up, from out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. So Samuel told all the words the Lord of the Lord to, uh, to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. They will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give them to his officials and attendants, your men servants and maidservants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen and the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord and the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. And then Samuel went to the men of Israel, said to the man of Israel, everyone go back to his town. It sounds an awful lot like a three-year-old begging his mother, can I go to that slide? Can I have another marshmallow and another marshmallow and another marshmallow? The people wanted it their way. They refused to listen. They wanted something other than what God wanted for their lives. You see, this Advent we're talking about longing for Jesus. And without even realizing it, the people of Israel, they longed for Jesus. They longed for a Messiah, a Savior, one who would go before them and fight their battles. They longed for a king. But as with Adam, their good longing for someone to rule them, not as a, not as a dictator, they, they didn't want that. But that's what they got in the final end. They wanted a ruler who would rule over them in relationship with love, with benevolence, with equity, justice, fairness. But their longing became so misdirected. And rather than listen to the voice of the one who knew best, they listened to the deceiver, really. They followed the desires of their flesh according to the ways of the world around them. We want a king just like every other nation has. But here's the thing. What started out misdirected and turned disastrous immediately. I mean, the first king that Samuel anointed was Saul. It was a disaster from day one. What, what started out as misdirected and turned disastrous was still under the full plan and control of God. And it was redeemed. And it was restored. 
ultimately restored in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So there's hope in the story. (laughs) Because just like there is with us, I don't know about you, but one thing I know about myself and about human nature is that it, it hasn't changed that much since the beginning, since the days of Samuel, has it? We long for things. We long for things. We don't want it to turn out badly. But when our longings are are misdirected, they do. But here's the thing. God can take any situation and he can redirect it. He can restore it. And he can use it for his glory. Ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about these things this morning. And as we do so, let's just pray and ask God to really be our teacher today. Lord, you've already... You've already taught us through the little bit that we've read of your word and we're going to read more of your word today, God, so would you show us more about our longings and about you as king. And so teach us today, God, by your Holy Spirit as the, is your written word and the living word just apply to our hearts. So bless us today. Change us. <laughs> Make us more like you. We pray it in your name. Amen. Let's talk number one about Israel's misdirected longing for a king. Um, I've already read 1 Samuel 8, but I want to follow that up with a few more verses, uh, passages. So you've got your Bible. These aren't going to be on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, we have them at the Welcome Center. They're, They're yours to take and keep if you need a Bible. But if you've got one, I hope you do. You bring it. Flip through the scripture with me. 1 Samuel 12. Let's go over to 12 for a minute. Uh, starting at verse 12. But when you saw Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now here's your king that you've chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his command commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hands will be against you as it was against your fathers. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call upon the Lord to send thunder and rain, something they didn't want during the harvest. (laughs) And you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called upon the Lord And that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. And the people said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants, for your servants, so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. And then it goes on to to, to say that Samuel did in fact pray for them. He said, Far be it for me that I should sin and not pray for you. Israel's longing for a king was so misdirected, it was not just a a bad thing, it was an evil thing. It was a thing that God did not want for them. And as you read over and over in Scripture, in fact, I I won't take the time to read the rest, but you read chapter 15, you read chapter 28 of 1 Samuel over and over again. As went the king, so went the people. And earthly kings are not perfect. 
Just read through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Talk about one disaster after another. You'd think they would have learned after falling off the slide the first time, <laughs> but they didn't. It was disastrous. There were some good kings, but they were still human. But there were just as many evil kings who did not listen to the Lord, who did not obey his decrees and his ways. And as went the king, so went the people in every situation, every case, without exception. And what happened was, you know, it eventually led to Israel's uh, and Judah's, the nation's exile and bondage and slavery to other nations. That's where it all went. There are five truths I want to share with you this morning under point number one. Five truths that I discovered about misdirected longings from 1 Samuel chapter 8 in particular. Things that are still true today. They're true in my life and they are true in your life. Here's the five. Number one, misdirected longings begin or their birth in a vacuum. A vacuum of godly leadership. You read it from the very beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 8. Samuel was getting older. He appointed his sons. His sons perverted justice. They accepted bribes. They were human. And in that, in that vacuum of ungodly leadership, Israel, the, the elders of Israel stepped in and said, give us a king. And, and I want to I challenge uh, all of us this morning because we're all leaders in one way or another, but I want to put a particular challenge out to the men of this congregation today, myself included, because God has appointed us as head over our families, over our children, and as leaders in the church that we need to lead in a godly way. Because when there is no godly leadership, it creates a vacuum. And when there's that vacuum, we get sucked in to misdirected longings. That's point one under this. Number two about misdirected longings is they're a rejection. Misdirected longings are a rejection of God's rule and reign in our lives. Um, you know, God said to Samuel, you know, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. They, they want such as all the other nations have. So he said to Samuel, don't take it personally. This is a rejection of God. And that's what our misdirected longings are. The rejection of the rule and reign of God in our lives in this day through Jesus Christ. Number three, misdirected longings always result in slavery and bondage. In fact, that's the longest section of 1 Samuel 8. <laughs> this is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your young men. He will take your daughters. He will take your grain. He will take your wine. He will take, take, take. And you'll be left with nothing. You'll be in bondage to him, destitute. Number four, misdirected longings eventually cause us to cry out for relief. And of course, the earthly king didn't care. And even God, see, this is, this is the serious and the scary thing about our misdirected longings. And I believe it's still a New Testament teaching. This is not just an Old Testament thing. Is that if we continually reject God, say, I want to do it my own way, I want to, I'll do it my own way, soon our prayers go unanswered. And you know what? God cannot be charged with neglect because He hears and He, he answers. 
It is our own behavior and our own misdirected longings that are responsible. I want to read for you Psalm 66, verse 18. We cannot charge God with with wrongdoing. Psalm 66, verse 18 says this, If I had cherished sin in my heart, misdirected longings really are sin. They're evil. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now that's Old Testament. But you go to 1 Peter, chapter 3 and verse 7, and Peter challenges the men, the church in particular. He says, husbands, men, live in consideration and respect with your wives, with your family, those that you lead, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. When we don't do things God's way and then we cry out to him and we expect him to change the situation, mm -mm. if our heart remains hard. But there's hope. (laughs) There's hope. I'm getting there. Okay. Number five, about misdirected longings. All misdirected longings are rooted in disobedience. At the very end of 1 Samuel 8, verse 19, it says, but the people still refused to listen. Just disobedient. So does any of this resonate with you this morning? Sure does with me. It, it sounds so hopeless, but what God specializes in, and this is the message of Christmas, this is the message of Advent, what God specializes in is taking my misdirected longings, the evil that I do, the sin in my heart, and he will, if we allow him, he will redirect it according to his plan. So let's talk secondly about God's redirected plan for a king. A king with a capital K. So I want to go back to 1 Samuel and I want to start at chapter 16 and then we're going to get into 2 Samuel because some pretty cool stuff starts to happen. So 1 Samuel 16 verse 1. It says there, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? So, so the Lord was already done with the first king. And Saul was a disaster. <clears throat> Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. Who does that sound familiar? I will send you to Jesse of, of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be your king. Now let's pick it up at verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now let's go to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter four, chapter 2 verse 4. I just love this. I love following the trail through scripture of how God, you know, redirects things and, and, and just works his plan. Second Samuel chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Now go to chapter 5. And the first five verses, it says this, All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, and said, we are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on the military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler. 
When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. So God took a disastrous situation and began to redirect it. And David was anointed king of Judah, and then he was anointed king of Israel, and he reigned over this divided kingdom together for another 33 years. Forty years in all, he was king over the nation, both kingdoms. Now we come to 2 Samuel 7. If there is one place in Scripture, well, there's many places, but if there's one, even in the Old Testament, you should underline and highlight it as 2 Samuel 7. This is the Davidic covenant. You've got the Abrahamic covenant. Before that, there was covenants, though, with Adam. There was with Noah. Abrahamic is huge, Genesis 12. 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant. There's signs of the new covenant in the prophets, and then you have the new covenant in the New, in the new Testament, but we're getting there. 2 Samuel 7. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night the word, came to, of the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place in a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you've gone and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Now when we read this, think Revelation. Think future, future. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel, I will, give, I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. <clears throat> He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me and your throne will be established forever. Now some of this has uh, fulfillment in Solomon, who was David's son, regarding the house of the Lord. But the fact is, David's throne, from this promise on, this covenant, was established forever. 
Let's move now to Isaiah 9. Isaiah chapter 9. I don't know about you, but this kind of stuff gets me really stoked. (laughs) Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders. Do you see the hope in this? The rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This has so much to do with Advent, with Christmas. What's even more amazing is that God had this plan even from the very beginning, just after the garden. Go back with me to Genesis, will you? Chapter 49. In Genesis 49, Jacob blesses his sons, and guess who one of them that is get, they all got blessed? Judah. Judah got blessed. As I read the prophecy about Judah from, from where David came, from where Jesus came, Think future, think revelation because we're coming right back to it. It all comes back. I'm going to end the sermon in Revelation, but it all circles back to Genesis. Chapter 49, verse 8. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. Oh my goodness. Isn't this amazing? Genesis 49, thinking thinking David, then Jesus. He will wash his garments in wine. Just wait till we get to Revelation. His robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine. His teeth whiter than milk. And you know what, even though through all of Israel's history we see this up and down, up and down, as as goes the king, so goes the people, eventually leading to exile, eventually leading to bondage, eventually leading to 400 years of complete silence and darkness where God just stopped speaking. 
we come to Matthew chapter 1. And we see, number three, the wise men directed to the king. The wise men directed to the king. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Here is a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I'm going to skip to verse 17 because I'm not reading all the hard names this morning. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham, Genesis, Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Christ. And this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She would give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Oh, there's the hope. That's what this is all about. Our misdirected longings, our sin, our evil will we'll be saved in Jesus. And this all took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. This is Isaiah, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary to be his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judah, during the time of King Herod, Magi, wise men, came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. You know, as the girls read the scripture this morning, so beautiful. Did you catch it in Luke? I'd like to read that passage, but I'm going to skip over it this morning. Did you catch it in Luke where it says that he takes rulers down? We're talking about the king who has all authority over all the kingdoms of the earth. He has the authority to set up kings and take them down from before he was a baby and when he was a baby and now especially. And I want to read a little bit. Go to in the New Testament. Go to John chapter 12. Parallel passage in Mark 11. John chapter 12, verse 12. Says this, the next day the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, "Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your King is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. All the way back to Genesis, talking about this donkey's colt. At first the disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. 
Now go to John chapter 18. John 18, verses 33 to 37. Pilate then went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied, if it was one, if it was it was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me, what is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You're right in saying that I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And now I go over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This just gets better and better. I just love this. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 13. Paul said, In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession... What did Jesus confess? The only thing that Jesus confessed before Pilate was, yeah, I'm a king. I'm a king. I'm the king of the Jews. I'm the king of Israel. That's who I am. But my kingdom is not of this world. And Paul said, in the sight of God who gives life to everyone and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you, keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in his own time, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Paul's view of the king. What did Peter, the first leader of the early church, say about the king of kings? Let's go to Acts 2. As the church got started, and so as it continues today, Acts 2 applies to us. And I'm going to start reading at verse 22. Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, who was accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge with you, and with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also live in hope because you will not see, you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, 
and has now poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so it comes to us this morning. It comes all full circle to us, the church. What will we do with the king? What will you do this morning with the king? We need to receive our direction from the king. And how do we respond? You see, our longings, just as Israel's, are so often misdirected. We often look for satisfaction, protection, pleasure, provision in anything and everything but Christ, don't we? It's human nature. You know, if only I had more money, then I'll be happy. Right? Pornography or an extramarital affair or sex before marriage, that will really satisfy me, my longings for sexual fulfillment. You know, food makes me feel better. I, I eat, you know, when I'm stressed. When I play video games, I don't have to think about my life. That sucks. When I have my headphones in, I don't have to hear my parents fighting. You know, alcohol, it, it just helps me relax. You know, it numbs me a bit so I don't have to feel quite so anxious. Another vacation, that's what I need. I need to go on another vacation. What will you do with the king today? What does the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ look like in your life today? Where will you place your longings this Christmas, this Advent season? You know, as a staff, we've been reading this book called Saturate from Jeff Vanderstelt. I would encourage you to get this book. It talks about what a life of discipleship in submission to the rule and reign of Jesus really looks like for us to be people on mission but there's a chapter that we just read this past uh, all-staff meeting, and it was all about what does it look like to be servants of the king? And that's the key word, to be servants. You see, if Jesus Christ really is the ruler and reign of your life, your life will be characterized by serving others and by sacrificing on their behalf. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He did not lord things over people. He served in humility, considering others better than himself. He, he laid down his life, and it was because of that he was exalted to the highest place, to the right hand of the Father in heaven, the very throne where he is right now. What is the rule and reign of Christ looking like in your life? But you know what? Before that, we need to, as Peter said, we, we need to call our misdirected longings what they are. They're not just selfishness. They're not just what we want. They're sin. It's sin. What was Peter's challenge to the people when he talked about Jesus Christ being the Lord of all on the throne of David? He said, you know what? Repent and be baptized. Repent. 
Every one of you, every one of us, the message is the same. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Come under the, the rule of the King of Kings. And, and then Peter said, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children this morning. It's for you. It's for you. It's for me. It is for my children. Your children. And all who are far off. This is a message we have to bring to the nations, friends. We have to bring it to Chilliwack. We have to bring it to Agassiz. We have to bring it to the ends of the earth. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Is he calling to you today? Is he calling your name? And will you respond? Will you bring your desires under his submission? Your desire for whatever it is, money, sex, power, your desire for the future, for your children. Will you bring it under his lordship, his reign, his rule? And another result of Christ's rule and reign is peace. You know, scripture said it's solitude. Sacrifice, service, submission, and solitude. Scripture says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Friends, we live in an unparalleled time in history where there is so much violence and so much chaos, so much anxiety, so much unrest, right? We allow Jesus to become your ruler, your Prince of Peace, to rule in your heart today. It begins with submitting your life to him and then continually submitting your life to him. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, said Paul, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Are you standing in the grace of God this morning? If you're not, would you submit to Christ? And number five, lastly, very quickly, we need to long directly for the king. You know what? This king will one day return. This is the second advent. We long for his appearing again. Are you ready for that? Do you have your fixed directly? Do you have your eyes directly on the king of kings, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down where? At the right hand of the throne of God. Do you have your eyes on the king at the very right hand of the throne of God? Friends, this morning, if you have lost heart, if you are discouraged, if you are weary, come to the king. Come to the king. I invite you to listen to some final words from Revelation 19. I told you I was going to the end of the book. Here we are. Some of the words of Revelation 19 go all the way back to Genesis 49, friends. Listen to this passage. After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged her uh, on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke goes from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praised our God, all you his servants who fear him both small and great. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. 
For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Friends, this morning, are you wearing that fine linen? Are you ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb? Will you be there? Will you be invited to that table? Then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. And at this I fell at his feet and worshipped him. But he said, Don't do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and of your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now listen to this. I saw in heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Genesis 49. And on his name is, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray. And as I'm praying, the Lord might be tugging at your heart to give yourself to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's people here this morning who want to pray with you. They're stationed throughout the sanctuary. Feel free to go to them. Come to me if you want. Or just take a a communication card which is in front of you and and indicate your desire to follow Jesus and we will follow up with you. This is important, friends. The time is coming and the time is short when the King of Kings will return. Are you ready? Let's pray. Lord, Master, Savior, this morning we simply agree. We agree with the testimony of the Apostle Paul who under your inspiration wrote, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. And now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand.